Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I am Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week uh, we are joined by a guest. Sarah Cook is here. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. And thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, before we get started on the episode proper, we have a the, the Jaws question as it's come to be known. Um, so this is a time of recording. It's the 46th anniversary of Jaws being released. So, uh, thanks for joining us for the Jaws's birthday. I feel Uh, very honored. I forgot to get it a present, but uh, I think it'll be fine. Um, but what, uh, what do you think about Jaws? Like you're obviously here on a minute by minute or thereabouts breakdown podcast. Uh, you would, I, I don't think you would be here if it was, uh, not an important film to you. So what is it about Jaws in your life and what does it what does it mean to you? Oh, I just it that's a very heavy question. Um <laughs> it's very deep, I should say, if I was going to keep a nautical sea themed. Um Jaws mm. is one of those films that I think is I, I was looking at like the pre questions for this podcast and it was like when was the first time you watched Jaws? And genuinely can't remember. It feels like it's been in part of my life for a long time it feels like it's been a sunday afternoon movie for like all of my life for some weird reason Mm -hmm. um and i've just been obsessed with it it's such a brilliantly made movie um and i remember loving it so much that i forced my dad to go on the jaws ride with me in universal in florida (laughs) and got scared shitless basically um from that um and i i i it's just been so it's such a strong ultimate blockbuster but also weirdly a good family film to watch in the in like sunday evening if you want to get your kids into horror and thriller Mm. um and it's just you know i'm not one of these people that's like scared of the water because of watching jaws but it's just so such an accomplished film it's just really good to watch and be enthralled by it and be chilled by it and realize that it's not really sometimes it's not really the shark it's the people and the panicky people and i'm obsessed with it yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh i think that the the more we do this show the more we realize like how why it works like that's that's been you know uh sarah b uh i i (laughs) think we uh we are coming to the same conclusion of like we've always loved the movie obviously but Mm -hmm it's really interesting to go through it like this and see like what makes the, 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 the movie tick and uh, which I guess is a clock pun. Um, but uh, <laughs> like, like why it works the way it does. And I feel like it's, it's, it's interesting because everyone's stories are so similar, but different. Like they're so uniquely tailored to them, but it all boils down to, it's just been such a staple. It's such a, it's such a cultural touchstone. And I don't think that's going to, stop anytime soon and i feel like there are so many movies that uh 
that's not the case with where they were maybe a touchstone for a moment in time um mm-hmm. and jaws just seems it seems perennial um like it just always is one of the movies that everyone has to see and everyone has seen for the most part yeah so so because of of jaws's sort of perennial nature it, it just uh <clears throat> I think it lends itself well to something like this. And speaking of something like this, uh, the scene we're talking about this week is from one hour and two minutes and 16 seconds through one hour and three minutes and one second. And Sarah informed me that this is our halfway episode. Um, provided provided <laughs> the schedule does not change. Uh, once again, this is we have we have officially hit our halfway number of episodes um so <laughs> thanks jaws for being made so that we can do this happy birthday <laughs> um <clears throat> so in this scene it is the final shark attack of a citizen of amity and this is the guy who's in the pond with um michael and his friends he's sort of yelling at them about taking the sheet in um, and doing it quickly and, and asking if they're okay. And then the shark enters the pond and uh, tips both boats over and uh, takes, a, takes a bite out of this guy. And we see his uh, bloody severed leg float down through the water and hit the bottom of the pond. Um, and Michael and his friends are in the water and... Michael looks at the shark. Michael has like a moment with the shark and it exits the pond and people react. Obviously there's some reaction shots as well as some continuation with um, the, uh, the artist lady from, from last week's episode um, pointing out that the shark is in the pond. Um, we, we finally see uh, the crowd that has just gathered over the fake shark acknowledging this lady and um showing and her showing where it's it's gone to the pond so it's a it's a short scene it's only about 44 seconds which is only one second off of the our shortest scene which i think was last week's episode um but a lot happens so uh sarah cook what 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 did you notice in this uh scene oh this is i mean this is one of my favorite scenes because I think it's the most realistic reaction to the shark. And that comes from Michael mm. and his, um, his face of shock, shock really. Um, and how he completely freezes. And honestly, every time I watch it, I feel his, like, I feel he must've immediately felt cold and he has that kind of little shiver in his lips when the shark goes by. Um, which I'm, I'm obsessed with. It's just such a cold reaction. But also, I think it's the first time that you actually see the shark. Um, mm-hmm. You actually see his massive, well, his massive jaws <laughs> going up <laughs> to the guy and, and gobbling him up. And um, I always remember, I always remember watching this when I was growing up and trying to gauge um if I was watching it on TV pre-Watershed or post-Watershed, because pre-Watershed, you don't see the leg. Um, and post-Watershed, you always do. So, like, this scene always sticks in my head because of the leg and how, like, it falls. And in some, if you're watching it on TV as a kid. Um, but, yeah, I, it just and a lot happens in 46 seconds. <laughs> yeah, that leg is 
so good and i just i <laughs> want to give credit to just how realistic it looks as well because i think in the autopsy scene when you see like the severed arm we kind of called that out for mm-hmm. being a little bit rubbery looking and not quite as realistic as maybe we would like it to be um and it seems well it, it that was an effect or a, or a prop that was sort of added in a bit later to add a bit more gore but this leg looks so realistic and because we're watching it in this insane way i paused it i like went through it like super slowly trying to sort of like find the bit on the leg that gave it away that that made you sort of go oh yeah that's a prop and i i don't see it i mean i don't watch tons of horror so i don't sort of uh you know have a huge you know bank of references for sort of like realistic uh severed limbs and things like that but this is pretty this is pretty good, I think, and is very, very convincing. I hadn't really thought about the fact that they would they would cut this bit out when Jaws is shown like earlier in the day on TV, but a good reason for it, I think this is, apart from Quint's death, this is probably one of the gorier moments that we mm-hmm. get, and it's a great... A great thing to see because we've sort of um it took me back to that bit when Brody is like flicking through the book and we see all the gross injuries and I think we even said in that episode that there's a lot of focus on legs. Yeah. Um and then in this we see we see a severed leg and and uh, points of anxiety in this film are normally when the sort of the the feet are in a lot of danger or very close to the shark so we had it in the charlie and den herder scene as well when he's sort of like scrabbling to get up on the side and his feet are still in the water and you know the shark is coming um obviously when quince slides towards the the shark and, and meets his end he goes feet first so it's it's not just a you know an accident i don't think that it's sort of like a severed leg that we see and i'm I'm just in awe honestly of how good it looks it really i can't fault it just that shot alone is probably one of my favorite shots in all of jaws i love it so much <laughs> no yeah i was about to say it does i think that's what makes it work so well is that it looks so realistic you've got like the hairs on his legs and you've got like mm. this um oh what do they call it it's not the flesh it's like the cartilage it's not yes. just like a bloody stump. It's like the cartilage and the the skin that was like hooked onto the other side of him is like there, and it's just you know, like you say, it's such a moment where like, oh no, you know, the, these legs come off. People lose their limbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's certainly one of the most memorable shots. I think. I think it's it, because the film is so conservative about its gore reveals that um when this happens it it, it, it's sort of like the montage we talked about a couple weeks ago with with sam where um it feels not not quite as out of place as that but like you're just like oh shit like this is what we're (laughs) okay we're doing this now got it um and it just it doesn't feel like anything else in the movie up to this point and um yeah, I mean, even Chrissy gets dragged by the legs. I don't remember if you said that, Sarah. But, um, you know, the, the victims, for the most part, start leg first. And so, yeah, um, yeah it's uh, it's cool to have that, that sort of visual confirmation after being, like, basically implicitly told that that's what's, being ha- what's happening mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the rest of the movie. I will say I'm not a 
doctor or a serial killer, but if I had to <laughs> say maybe one thing that makes it a little fake, quote unquote, it's a big nit it's 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 a nitpick if anything. When it hits the bottom of the pond, it just kind of bounces. I feel like because there's a joint at the knee, it would kind of just fold and sink to the bottom. Um, but, you know, whatever. It's not it's not that big of a deal. It looks really good. Um, but, yeah, I really like it. Also, that leg went on to have a supporting performance in A Christmas Story. Um, so congratulations to that leg. Um, but but so dumb Uh, (laughs) no i liked it i liked it but (laughs) i made myself laugh too hard with it i was sitting on the joke for most of the recording and then i said it out loud and i was like "Mm, that wasn't worth it uh anyway uh the leg is uh is great do we do we catch up with this guy later? Is he? Do we see him in the hospital in the next couple scenes, or is are we just kind of done with him? Mm, I, think I think he's dead. With him. Mm. Yeah. Did he die? Is I think that he, the implication? Yeah, I think, I think so. the implication is he's dead because he goes underwater and there's like that. You know, you see the leg and then you see the the, the blood, um, yeah. pool mm. and you don't ever see him again. Yeah, that's true. I was I yeah, I wasn't sure if he was just maimed. Um, he's like this very nondescript guy, right? And I don't know, you don't know if he's like a resident, you don't know if he's like a visitor, and like all he's doing is coming over to some kids and going, hey, do you need help with your like boat? And then he gets like straight up killed by this massive shark. Mm. Yeah. I think like some things, um, I don't know where I read this or if it's in the script or something, but he's sometimes credited as being like the the boy scout leader i don't know if it's oh. because like the boat is the set you know the guy like um when we thought there was a racial slur and there was <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, with, yeah. The, <laughs> with the scout leader and the and the kids doing their their mile swim i uh, i can't remember that bit well enough to say that that is true or not but i have seen him sort of like credited or referred to as like the the boy scout leader sometimes but that kind of um, makes sense otherwise it's just a creepy little (laughs) (laughs) man he doesn't know them coming over but if he was like the boy scout leader then he's definitely coming over and being like have you forgotten your notes have we forgotten how to sail come on guys like yeah yeah the narrative makes more sense um i don't think i can scroll back quick enough to that that point in the film to try and i don't think we see him though i i think we see him from afar but Mm, maybe it's the boat yeah uh oh maybe yeah because he's he's rowing in a boat and yelling at Mm. the kids while they're doing their swim yeah Wow, this guy can't catch a break if it is a scout leader. He's got me slandering him for using racial slurs, uh, <laughs> even even though he's not. And then he gets killed by a shark. <laughs> yeah, this this death, I think we can safely say he does die because we don't see him sort of come back up to the surface. Um, yeah. And I, I've always been under the impression that he does, that he does die. But it's a pretty brutal well a very brutal death obviously we see like a severed limb but i think one of the things that i find most horrifying about this attack is that when he is like first pulled under he doesn't yell at all like he then 
does yell sort of then it goes to a shot where there's these three girls lying on the beach and you can sort of see him flailing in the background and the the overturned boat but when the shark sort of like first appears and you can just about make out the shark underneath the the sea which is an excellent shot i think if that's that's our first time like really seeing the shark and then we see him a little bit better um a few seconds later but when he is first like dragged under he doesn't make a sound and i think that sometimes that is more horrifying than the sort of like the blood curdling scream and then we we do get that as well because it's like the shark is playing with him Mm -hmm. um which again is (laughs) is pretty terrifying and horrifying to think about that it sort of like drags him under once and then obviously maybe that's when he loses the leg and then he sort of like comes up again and is flailing around and is then sort of like screaming for help um but it's a really it's it's given the fact that this is like we we've seen the victims before but we've not seen the shark there's just something about this attack that i think it is is different and somehow more more horrifying than some of the others we've seen just because we really get the sense of scale of this shark and he was never gonna win that battle with this with this shark it was he was always going to be the loser in this in this scenario but yeah it's uh it's it's pretty unpleasant to to watch but very very effective and he also has like this kind of really chilling piercing scream like um and it's just like a scream of absolute horror and terror. Mm. Um, which, but yeah, that, that image of that like head just aiming straight for his legs and you have no question about what's going to happen next. It's mm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, gosh, it's so good. I love <laughs> that shot of the, it's almost like the shark fades into the shot. Like, mm-hmm. and, and it's so, it's, it's like, ghostly almost because of how yeah. how shrouded by the water it is like it almost looks spectral um and it, it just mm-hmm. it adds to that the like we've talked about in previous episodes that otherworldly aspect of the shark that, that like mm-hmm. it feels it feels alien like even <clears throat> even though we know what a shark looks like especially now seeing it even even now for the first time in the movie it's just like that's super scary like it looks really scary um and Mm -hmm. menacing to see it to see it like that for the first time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah this is my first opportunity to defend this uh shark as well although i i probably have done it in previous episodes but um to anyone who says the shark look fake looks fake no please stop that (laughs) (laughs) it's 1975 guys (laughs) i think it looks very good for the time period and i think that the way it is used sparingly and how it is introduced as well that like you said mj that sort of first shot of it appearing underneath the the sea is so so chilling because you can't see it clearly and then when it sort of really makes an impact and it, it it hits the side of that boat as well. The noise it makes when impact is made with the boat is so good. It's so loud. It's just this huge like thump. Um, and then we sort of see see the shark or at least its its head in in sort of more detail. And I I think it looks really good still. I think it is so it's so effective. It does exactly what it needs to do. And I think that that criticism is kind of just a lazy criticism for people who want to find something to fault in Jaws. 
um and i've got no time for it personally <laughs> no no i i completely agree the the shark looks like a shark like there is no question about this um and uh yeah it's a haunting image and how they did it and the the backstory of the shark is so insane <laughs> that you just you know and i think with like jaws and with like um jurassic park and et like seems just really knows how to do puppetry and animatronics mm-hmm. and how to make them so realistic and genuine mm-hmm. and this is one of the cases and they went through a lot of trouble man if that shark had turned out to look <laughs> fake I'd, <laughs> I'd be gutted <laughs> yeah i mean i think it looks a, a little fake in the, the 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 attack with quint but there's so much other stuff going on mm, mm-hmm. in that scene that it doesn't matter like it you know i uh not to cross promote this early but there was one of the common criticisms I'm seeing of In the Heights, uh, not a spoiler, I'm not going to spoil anything, but they do the traditional uh, musical thing where everyone lip syncs. They don't do any live singing um, mm. in in the film. And I'm pro that. Uh, and people, te- people I've, I've seen a lot of people criticizing it because it doesn't look great. Um, like the, the way the, the, the actors match, matching the lip syncing isn't great. And that's not wrong. I think that's it's fair to point that out, and I think there are certain shots in the film where, like, there's focus. If there's like a, a, a focus on a character, like a close-up shot, it can look a little bad if they're trying to get across a certain emotion, but mm. they're clearly lip-syncing, um, and the lip-syncing isn't very good. That th- that's when it gets hurt in the movie. But there's so much other stuff going on usually with the choreography and the cinematography and just like the lyrics that are happening that. I don't really care. Like I, that is so low on my list of shit to get mad at in a musical <laughs> that, and the, so c- comparing it to the shark, it is so low on my list of shit to get mad at in like mm-hmm. in this movie. So like, yeah, it shows its age a little bit, um, but it's cool looking. It's a really intimidating, scary presence. It's a big ass puppet, man. Like it's, it's <laughs> really big and scary. Um, and yeah, I was in a job interview over the phone and this podcast got brought up because they were like, oh, it was a fun fact about yourself. And I was like, oh, yeah, I have this Jaws podcast or whatever. And <laughs> the person who was interviewing me was like, um, oh, yeah, my kids watched Jaws for the first time last year. And it's like, I remember it being really scary when I was a kid, but it's so cheesy looking. And they thought it was super fake looking. And I was like, well, you know what's not fake looking? These hands. Like, I was, <laughs> I was burnt. <laughs> like, Oh dear, they weren't ready. <laughs> yeah. I feel, yeah, I feel it, like yeah, there's just some. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm very much. I I mean, I was saying this. I can't. I think I was on a, another podcast talking about um like old school horror and like pre code horror and how they did a lot more stuff than I think is they do today. I am always pro. SFX and practical effects when I am CGI. Mm-hmm. Not that CGI doesn't take a lot of work. And when it's done well and with like good intentions, like how to train your dragon, and like um, again, we're going back uh, the Pixar stuff that goes really well. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there is something more visceral than gloop as gloopy blood and like raw kind of gunk that's made to look like a wound and like a big mm-hmm. fuck off puppet head shark. 
it's much more realistic than like the Meg, you know, mm-hmm. and like these new shark movies where that you can tell it's CGI and and to me that's more cheesy looking than Jaws, which still yeah. has on in like still feels real and has that real like visceral effect to it. And it's it's when people look back at it, if you, I mean, I don't get how. <laughs> I don't get how they say it looks cheesy looking just because the shark isn't in a mix of a tornado or like <laughs> absolutely animated. I don't know if they know what sharks are. Sharks aren't that animated. They don't like bend in weird ways. They're very static creatures. Yeah. You know, like and that's and they're very slow. That's I don't get why this draws to people would look cheesy when it pops its head out of the water later on in the movie that's terrifying the whole infamous you're gonna need a bigger boat bit like mm-hmm. he's, he's a huge beast man <laughs> yeah i i i will always defend the way the shark looks in this and i i think you're right sarah as well it's there is something so much better about practical effects and i'm i'm always so happy when i see something has used practical effects because particularly in in horror or or thrillers or creature features and things like that if you're wanting to create something that is scary the more real and the more tangible the more tactile it feels i think the scarier it's gonna it's gonna be because you're like that isn't that is an actual moving thing that was was physically there it's not something that sort of got added in post it was a presence there and surely i would imagine easier for those filming as well and those it those in the film where you could sort of see this thing there because it is you know they would all have been aware that it was a a uh, wasn't a real shark but you can generate that sense of fear i think easier when you can actually see something in front of you and it's not just uh, a tennis ball on a stick or something that then gets added in later and you have to do a a sort of a lot of work to pretend that you are seeing the thing um, that should be there and then is is added later but this it is there it's it very much has a presence throughout and i think that the build-up we've had to seeing the shark as well has been so so effectively done and it was obviously part of the 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 mechanics that the shark just couldn't run as often as they needed to and it frequently broke and the stories around that are, are pretty well known but the other things had to be done to sort of stand in the place of the shark and, and we've talked about how the score does that and uh in the scene with with charlie and den herder where it's you don't see the shark but the shark is under that kind of bit of the jetty that then turns around and and is pursuing them and we get the barrels later in in the film as well and and quite a lot of just the just the fin or just the tail um which is obviously easier to do than seeing the whole thing but what monster movies or creature features now tend to do is like we want to see this thing as much as possible you want to see it in close-up you want to see it from this angle you want to see it do this thing and and the meg is kind of a good example of that actually it's you see a lot of that (laughs) shark that can tell that it is made on a computer whereas in george you barely see it i think the actual screen time the shark has is is next to nothing really compared to the sort of the the rest of the length of the film and it's just so it's so effectively done and this being the first time we see it as well it's really the fourth of july 
this is you know this is still happening on the fourth of july this was only gonna go one way so this whole film has really been building up to the town no longer being able to ignore the problem you know as as hooper says to to larry um ignore it until it comes up and bites you on the ass and it literally comes up and bites this guy on the ass and they cannot ignore this problem anymore because it is there there is nothing they can do now and i just i think that everything else that the film has done leading up to this point is just so effective in making that moment have even more impact than it than it already does uh sorry yeah i was going to say that um one of my favorite bits is after this and you see the mayor and the mayor's mm. mumbling shocked like we've got a problem reaction and how he's trying to spin it because he you know he can't he can no longer ignore the fact that so many people have already died mm. um and you know it wasn't like a shark way out from the beach it was in the pool it's in the the thing that yeah. literally moments before they were like there's my old ladies swim <laughs> mm. <laughs> like this yeah. this shark is a very smart shark. <laughs> like, I'm gonna go over here. I'm gonna like play mind games with you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think the other thing too, like, uh, this is gonna be maybe a weird comparison, but thinking about the shark and the way it's utilized, it reminds me a lot of the um, the the Lee Winnell Invisible Man movie that came out last year. Like that that movie's terrifying to me and most of the terror comes from an empty shot like it's yeah he'll, he'll show an he'll show an empty wall and you're like oh he's he's fucking there i can see him i can see him it is called the invisible man and you're convinced you can see something in the shot and you know like if you think about it for two seconds especially as like people who watch and review films you know that the setup for that shot was literally yep. just like, let's light this wall and throw the camera up there for four seconds or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's even, like, even bits where she sat in one corner of the frame and, like, you know, there's an empty space, like a really big space, and you're like, there's something happening. Like, I don't know what, mm. but something's happening. <laughs> yeah, that movie's terrifying and you know when it's less terrifying when the cgi is being used <laughs> well this is my biggest problem with a quiet place um because the aliens are so much more terrifying when you see them in the short burst where sound mm. happens and all of a sudden the person's no longer there because you can see this like snippet of a monster but when you look at the monster and you see him and you see him up close especially in the second in part two the problem is, is that they look so stressed out. You kind of like understand why they're <laughs> like doing what they're doing, um, and it's always for me. It's always the big alien versus aliens debate. The reason why alien for me works better because you don't see it right until the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like completely with you on this. Yeah. Well, and also because aliens a pretty good movie. <laughs> aliens is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, spicy hot takes. <laughs> Sorry. Alien's great. I love that movie. <laughs> some of the I mean like some of the scariest stuff is the stuff that you don't see, like reservoir dogs and like mm-hmm. all that kind of all that jazz, which reference Rob mm-hmm. Schneider though. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey. 
Um, and uh, <laughs> this kind of, yeah, like you were saying before, the the people nowadays are like, they want to see everything, but that isn't scary. It's mm. scarier when the T-Rex is making the vibrations in the water. It's scarier when the camera pans away just before Michael Madsen cuts off an ear. Because your imagination is always a billion times scarier than what anyone else could come up with. Mm-hmm. Which is why, like, ghosts, ghosts, like, I don't, I don't see why The Conjuring is that scary. Because you see the ghosts. I'm like, mm-hmm. the ghosts, ghosts are scarier when you don't see them, right? You don't yeah. know where they're going to come from. Uh, it's just, yeah, I am always a less is more kind of gal. And I feel like Jaws does it perfectly. Jaws has the, I mean, here's me saying Jaws is perfect again, but Jaws has the perfect balance of what is seen and what is unseen. I think it would be very interesting to see the rest of the film play out if you never saw the shark, but I feel like a lot of people would be, would feel sort of cheated by it. Like you're here to see this big old monster shark, you've seen it on the poster, and then if you had the whole film where like all you see is... a a brief glimpse of it underwater or just its fin you'd probably feel a little bit cheated by it but i think it builds up how much you see of the shark and again we can talk about you know the 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 behind the scenes stuff and how the shark wasn't always working but actually when you sort of track the shark like from from start to finish in this film the first attack on on chrissy you don't see anything of the shark you you just see what happens to her and then with Alex Kintner, you sort of, we talked about it, you saw this weird just kind of shape out in the ocean and you mm-hmm. can't even really make out what it is. It looks alien and, and completely not right at all. And then this, oh, with Charlie and Den Herder again, I, as I said, you have the, the jetty sort of standing in for the shark and but you get a real sense of the shark's speed and ferocity and that bit. And then we get to hear and then we sort of see our first glimpse of it and i think the next time we see it properly is is when it kind of pops up um behind brody and there's there's sightings of it between those moments we talked about in last week the the shot of the the shark swimming past sean as he's playing innocently on the beach and how terrifying that bit is um but you get a a a real sense of building up to seeing to seeing the thing and we're what you know a full hour and a bit into this film before we've even really seen the shark's head um and i think sometimes actually people forget about not hardcore jaws fans uh like present company and those (laughs) listening probably but i think a lot of people think the first time you see the sharks you know the jaws of the title um is when it pops up behind brody and, and people kind of forget about this bit because you sort of see it from the side and it's very very quick as well like you really have to you know you you see it but it 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 does sort of happen pretty pretty rapidly in these few scenes because obviously the the attack is quite frantic um and there's lots going on just generally with people running around and, and screaming and and everything else but yeah it's so much more effective i think less is more I'm, I'm i'm completely with you sarah on that one i think that and i'm not someone who watches a, a lot of horror and i will always feel more scared by the sort of the the idea of something and 
like you said, you know, your imagination filling in the gaps can sometimes be a lot more scary than sort of seeing the thing from the start because the more you see something, the more you get used to seeing it. So Mm -hmm. you you sort of acclimatize to it, really. You're like, oh, yeah, I've seen that shark like five minutes ago. I'm not scared by it anymore. Um, But we sort of see it in little flashes and and little glimpses and we're, we're glimpses and we're seeing the shark uh attacks sort of increasing uh both in how many of them there are and in the sort of the the ferocity of them as well and this we sort of you know see an actual limb get torn off which is as we spoke about incredibly effective but yeah i i don't think enough horrors do this and one film that i i did really enjoy uh even though it uh scared me quite a bit was um midsummer and so much of that film is things that you see in the background like when someone pointed out the thing that you see in the trees um and then i saw it i was Hmm? honestly petrified um (laughs) because you don't it, it it's it's that sort of like i your eyes playing tricks on you thing where you're like did i just see that thing in in the background and i think something like that happens in hereditary as well even though i haven't seen it i've heard about it um but those quick glimpses of of the the scary thing is so much more effective than seeing it in in great detail i think yeah absolutely absolutely like um i think uh, for me one of the scariest movies is the blair witch project and you never see the witch you know like you never see you just you just you you know it's so much easier to to normalize something that you see i guess and if it's something that's just like a feeling and a like a haunting kind of like what is that like the Mm. two of my favorite horror things are the things that have like never been explained there's a film called tale of two sisters and there is a ghost underneath, like, the sink. And when the, there's a the big, like, reveal, but that never goes explained of what mm. this woman, you know, who never comes back to the film, saw under the sink. And, like, there's a bit in The Conjuring, and it's just the stuff that's just, not The Conjuring, Insidious. There's, a, there's mm. like, you see a, a ghost out the corner of your eye. And, like, the, for the first half, that's more terrifying because you're, you know, the, the, the people don't even react. And that's probably why, like, the haunting of Bly Manor and the haunting of, um, Hill House. what was the first one? Hill House uh, were more scary because it, the, it was the this ghost that you saw at the corner of your eye and you turn around to your friend and you're like, did you see that? And they're like, what? And I'm like, there was something <laughs> in the corner. Like, tell me you saw it. And that's, you know, that's the stuff that scares you when you, you're home alone. You know, when you're like, did I just see a shadow on the wall? Did I, you know, did I yeah. just hear something? Um, and like, Jaws does it so effectively because you also get like these really great POV shots from the shark, mm. but you never see the shark. So you get his like, you know, do, 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 gonna kill a human, gonna ignore that kid, <laughs> um, kind, of, kind of thing. And so, so you you're immersed in it and you you know you you are the shark for a little bit and then you get this really like you said this ghostly look and it's not even the full shark it's just his head and his jaws and you're like damn that is a big shark and that is terrifying yeah well and uh shout out to a couple things one shout out to jack uh cooper friend of the show i don't know Mm -hmm. if um you saw he did some threads this week on um some sort of marine biology Twitter account about Megalodon. 
Mm, I saw, yeah. And the thing about Megalodon is I always go, yeah, I know how big Megalodon was. And then I see research about Megalodon and I'm like, no, I don't. Also, (laughs) terrifying. Um, So scary. Mm -hmm. What a scary thing to have existed. Um, (laughs) And you never know. This is why the ocean's so, like, bonkers scary. It could still exist because we haven't plundered down like we have not explored enough of the sea to know what exists still exists in the sea (laughs) yep yeah and so like it's crazy to see the shark in this and be like oh that's a giant shark like that is a huge shark and then to think about megalodon existing it's like oh it dwarfs that shark like it it's not even a i mean it looks like a you know a, a goldfish compared to how big Megalodon was. Like, anyway, <laughs> go check out those threads. They're on Jack's Twitter. Uh, well, we, while we're speaking about the Meg, I just want to say that it's my only impression I can do of anyone. And that's Jason Statham in the Meg. I'm going to do it now, so it's on recorded. Bam! <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so it's. <clears throat> oh my god! It's the Megalodon. <laughs> Pretty good. It's like we had Jason Statham on the podcast with us. Agreed. <laughs> Thank you. I'm impressed. Anyone wants to hire me to do Jason Statham voiceover? <laughs> Available for hire. Available. For- uh... I can only do that one line. That's <laughs> uh, funny. Um, so did not know about the thing in the trees in midsummer. So thanks for that Google search. Um, oh, yeah. Have fun oh, sleeping tonight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Uh, oh. uh, one second. I need to look this up as well. Midsummer thing in trees. That's exactly what I googled. <laughs> nope. No. 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 <laughs> Put it in the Discord. You're welcome. Oh, okay. What? <laughs> yep. Yeah. I didn't love no. that movie, but that's pretty. That's pretty scary. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought uh, I was going insane when I saw it, but then I looked it up afterwards and was like, "Oh, it's a thing," and it's meant to be like her dead sister as well. Yeah. Spoiler, I yeah. Guess, that's for Midsummer. That's the face of the of the dead sister after she's died. Um, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just I've got chills all over so my spine again. <laughs> yep. Um Fuck Ari Aster. I mean in the best way, but like Yeah. Uh so have you guys not don't base this on the off mic conversation we had about Bigfoot, but have you guys seen um the uh the the Bobcat Goldthwait uh, Bigfoot movie Willow Creek. Nope. Uh, so it's no. beat for beat Blair Witch Project, but with Bigfoot. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, your mileage may vary with it because it is basically a remake of Blair Witch Project. But the great thing is that you don't actually see Bigfoot until like the very end, and it's like maybe an arm, and uh, that's it. Um, so it's, it's got that same Blair Witch vibe to it of like not using the monster and very scary, but it's, it's literally like a found footage movie about people camping in the Pacific Northwest looking for Bigfoot. So it's the same movie. Um, (laughs) but there's a, there's a, there's a one take shot that's, I think it's like 17 minutes or something. And it's just them in their tent 
while like Bigfoot shit happens outside the tent. But we a tent doesn't really have windows, so we don't actually see any of it. We just hear it, and it's really scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, agree. Cool. It's. I think. I think that movie's a little overlooked. I get that it's. You know, it is so close to Boy Rich that it's a little bit. I don't know. But uh, th- there, there's parts of it that are really good. Um, and speaking of uh, not seeing the shark very much in these shark POV shots. This scene ends with, um, like, the shark and and Michael Brody having uh, this, like, really chilling interaction Mm -hmm. with each other. Like, it's it's been the screen cap that's been on my screen the entire time we've been talking about this. And it's really scary still. And it's, it's just a petrified Michael making eye contact i guess with with this shark we see it from the perspective of the shark so it makes us feel like we're the shark interacting with this child and it's really it's really cool it's really good it's really scary and it's uh it's it it feels like it it, it makes you feel weird like it feels like you shouldn't be seeing it um Mm. sort of like it feels too like too intimate like man versus nature type stuff like i feel like it just makes us confront our relationship with nature a little more than i like to think about on my day to day (laughs) yeah yeah it's um ah it's just so haunt and his face and like you see all these videos of people like close encounters with wild animals and like how terrifying just to have one just you know not even attack you just stroll by you mm-hmm. like nothing has just happened like he's just bloody murdered someone in front of you and he's like hey sup kid mm-hmm. yeah you're next <laughs> it's like seeing a serial killer with a, like a bloody knife mm-hmm. after they've just like hacked a piece of someone in front of you and like you're just there and you're waiting for this that must be michael's like he's going to kill me mm-hmm. this shark is coming for me next he's just killed someone in front of me and then they just walk by and how that image must be in his head forevermore mm-hmm. as like nightmarish. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Cause we're not, we're not seeing what Michael sees as well, which I think is one of the things that makes that particular shot so effective. And I've always thought it was quite a, a weird, a weird shot because it's just the movement of the camera and the way it sort of like glides past him. I've always just thought of, looking like a little bit strange because you would think that you know we've just seen the shark you know kill this guy or you know bite his leg off and and we know it's attacked before and and has killed before so we're like well why is he swimming past why is he swimming past michael like you know there's there's another you know another meal there sort of thing but i don't know that that I'm not going to get into too much because I don't know enough about sharks to kind of confidently <laughs> say anything about that. I mean, maybe the shark yeah. is full. He doesn't, you know, Michael is, we we sort of said, actually, I think Sarah, you said right at the start is that he is like frozen to the spot. So he's like barely making any splashing or flailing at all. He is just like, you know, he's in the water and he's floating, but he might as well be like rooted to the ocean floor because he is just completely frozen in fear so maybe i don't know maybe it is the fact that he's not sort of splashing about that the shark 
doesn't think that he's you know in distress we, we see in the shark books that the sharks are attracted to the movement of of a fish in distress which is basically yeah. the same as people splashing around in the water so that that could be it but i i think this film would be taking it to another level of darkness if it killed brody's son i think that would be yeah. awful <laughs> and i i i think that Brody, in a weird way, has more to fight for with with all of his family safely back at Amity because he needs to make it back. He needs to make it back for them, for all of them. And it's, then it's not him sort of like avenging the death of his son or something by going out yeah. to kill the shark. It's it's him doing his duty to protect the citizens of, of Amity who, you know, his immediate nearest and dearest are all safe. So I think it's actually more effective for the that nothing happens to, to Michael, obviously. He is, he is understandably shaken up uh, by this and experience. Abs- <laughs> absolutely, and it's Father's Day today, so he mm-hmm. is like, he's one of my favourite screen dads just because of how he yeah. interacts with his kids. Yeah, um, agreed. That previous scene with Sean at the table and Sean's mimicking him, mm-hmm. um, and it's just after the kid dies, and you're just... You know, you can just see like the weight of him and the world on his shoulders, kind of thing. Um, yeah. And I, I quite like this scene—the fact that Michael doesn't die, but also it's kind of like a mirror to what happened with um, the kid. I cannot remember his name. Um, Alex. James, yeah, who who died um, before, and that. Mm. You know, it hits more like I mean, Chief Brody's on it from the start, but it hits more to home with him. Um, and like you said, this is a really beautiful family unit. You know, Brody's not a cheater, he's not an alcoholic, he's not like you know, like you would see these kind of gruff police heroes in these kind of yeah. films. Like, you know, um, he is has and all these like disaster films, most of them now. They're strange dads who are going to go and fight for their family to get back. But actually, Brody has this really secure, lovely, loving, amazing, incredible family unit um, that really take care of each other. Like Michael, he like before the scene, he's like, Michael, can you just play in the pond just for me? And he does. You know, this kid doesn't put much protest. You know, he looks after his little kid brother. They go and like do stuff together. And it's just that really nice like you said, it really hones in what Brody is fighting for, not just for his chat this time. He's adopted. He's not from there, but he's trying to look after the people still, but also for his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I will say that in the Jaws board game, you can kill Michael Kittner if you're playing as the shark, and, or Michael, Michael Kittner, Michael Brody, if you're playing as the shark, and he's worth two points instead of one. He's worth double the <laughs> points if you kill him. And that is super dark and super funny at the same time. Um, uh, I mean, this film, the film kills a kid anyway, but for some reason yeah, it is yeah. more dark if they kill Michael Brady. Yeah. I think a lesser movie would also kill Michael Brody. And I, I like that this doesn't because it doesn't need that. It doesn't need to go that dark with it. There's no reason for it at that point. It's just gratuitous. And mm-hmm. for as, like, as, 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 as much as the film uh uh does kind of have really um brutal killing scenes it's i don't think it's particularly gratuitous like i don't think it i don't think it revels in those scenes the way like um i don't know 
like an Eli Roth movie or something does, um, you know, or, or like an eighties, like gore fest, you know, movie does. So, um, or even the book, actually, it's one of the things I thought was most off putting about the book is how much the book feels like it celebrates the death scenes. It just Mm. feels gross to me. Like I don't like it. Um, (laughs) and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's better this way. And then is, is it Michael or Sean who's the protagonist kind of going forward in, in some of the sequels? Um, Michael and then Sean. Okay. I think. Um, okay. <laughs> I've not watched them in a while. <laughs> sure. So what I'll say is I haven't seen the sequels, but I can see how this shot is what you would want to build your, uh, your franchise on if you're going to go and make sequels out of Jaws for whatever mm. reason you would want to do that. But... Um, I mean, it, it, it kind of it kind of mirrors Quint, right? And his sort of shark shark hatred origin story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, just watching sharks kill people and you're just waiting for that moment to ha- for it to happen to you. Yeah, well, and also it's, you know, I know it was like, it was Quint's friends and comrades on, on you know, the, the Indianapolis or whatever, but this is, if this is the scout leader, this is Michael Brody's scout leader, you know, if he's in Boy Scouts, then he, you know, he's familiar with this guy that got killed, you know, he's, he's you know, that's a person he interacts with probably once a week, um, mm. at minimum. Mm. Yeah, I sorry. I was <laughs> it was bugging me that I didn't know the 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 witch Brody is the uh, the protagonist in the later Jaws films. I felt fairly certain that it is Michael, um, and it is. And um, if you want a spoiler for Jaws four, I guess, uh, which isn't very good, um, they kill Sean in that. So sad times. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. they, they kill a Brody child by the end of it. Um, that film is not worth watching if anyone is now upset that i have spoiled uh spoiled jaws the revenge um you're welcome i've saved you from having to watch it uh i guess jaws the revenge it says it all in that title right well yeah because it's like the whole the whole thing of it is that ellen thinks that the shark like has like a personal vendetta against the brody family because I think it's like the the shark is a relative of the original shark or something. It's real dumb, <laughs> really dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should still watch it though, especially MJ. You have no excuse not to watch the Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I had to. I had to find that uh, information out before we before we went on, but. Um, yeah, did you, I don't know if you guys had anything, if you guys had anything else on this particular scene. I've got a couple of bits, but. Um, I completely forgot what, no, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> I have one more thing about the interaction here. Um, mm. I think the scariest thing about uh, the interaction with Michael and the shark is how 
we want to we want to paste some sort of emotion onto the shark because that's how we are we're emotional creatures so we want him we want this interaction to be like uh like you're next kid or like you're lucky i'm full or whatever but truth be told that shark just doesn't have any emotion about this like the shark Mm. does not care it's incapable of that kind of higher emotional thinking to have this interaction with michael and Mm. i that's scarier like there's um there's this story this is gonna be a a weird analogy but there's a story of um uh, gamera who is sort of like a ripoff godzilla uh in in japan um by and large his movies are not super well received for people who like uh kaiju movies except there's a trilogy in the 90s that people think is like some of the best kaiju filmmaking out there and there's an interview with the writer of those movies where i think they're on set for the second one and they're filming the climax and um so so small backstory on gamera they call him the protector of children um because most of the protagonists in his films are children and so there's this little girl who's the protagonist of the second film um and Gamera is protecting them in this big warehouse fight at the end. And he has this moment where Gamera looks at the little girl and the actor in the suit, because it's a kaiju movie, they're in a suit. The the kaiju actor asked the director, like, oh, what's my, um, what, what am I feeling when I'm looking at the little girl? Like, how should I react to it? And the director's response was, you don't. Uh, you, you're, you're not, you're, you don't have emotions that way. You are, you're a lizard, you're a big turtle. And so you're, you're not actively caring about these children necessarily. Like that's something that's in the subtext of the film, but you're, you, the character itself has no motivation or drive to do this really. Mm. Um, and so I always think about that when I think about like the way animals are interacting with people in movies. Um, and I think this is a really like good example of that because like there's because we're not seeing what the shark looks like we can really not ascribe an emotion to it like we have no idea um also I like that Sam Raimi ass way he glides the camera across the water I think it's super (laughs) cool um I don't think I've ever realized how much Sam Raimi just stole that for the rest of his career (laughs) um out of like wholesale out of this movie that's how like most Sam Raimi movies start is with a shot like that. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I really, I don't know. I really like that. And I like that, that we're getting this sort of man versus nature type of element getting introduced into it. And I like that it starts even before Brody um, has an interaction with the shark, but it is still a Brody. Yeah. The yeah, one who's definitely. not scared of the water. <laughs> yeah <laughs> there is there's some irony in that i i feel but um actually the 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 bit mentioning the jaws sequels was kind of relevant to that because they they start to get silly when they sort of um prescribe emotion or feelings to the shark like mm-hmm. what a, a truly ridiculous notion to suggest that this shark is capable of high enough thinking that it is like personally out for revenge against the whole Brody family like what a a truly absurd thing to to suggest and I think that that's where a lot of films that sort of have like a a, a creature or so as the the main villain quote you know because you can argue whether the shark is actually the villain in, in Jaws or not 
um, is where they can sort of sometimes run into problems because particularly when you're striving for realism and a creature that is real, it's always the humans I find in these in these films who project their own like feelings or emotions like onto the monster. They do this in like some of the most recent Godzilla films where they're like, oh, this is what he must be feeling right now. And I'm like, are you a giant lizard? No, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you don't know. Like obviously those things are there for us as as the audience to sort of you know exposition and filling in some of the gaps because you know we don't speak fluent godzilla or whatever um but yeah maybe you don't (laughs) i know you do mj but (laughs) that's what your uh that's what your degree is in isn't it you say you're doing uh film studies but actually it's uh you're taking a language course in godzilla um (laughs) godzilla linguistics Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that is silly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that this this shot with Michael and the way it sort of like does like glide past him in this very unusual manner. It it is taking that sort of emotion out of it. You're not you're not the shark doesn't sort of you know the camera doesn't then like mimic the shark sort of looking back at him and looking at him hungrily or whatever. That would be a weird thing to try and shoot, but um. It's just the shark is done. The shark has eaten his meal and off he goes. Like he's, it's it's us sort of filling in the gap. <laughs> I can sense you've got something to uh, to add into that. <laughs> I, just, I just picture the shark being like, hey, it'd be real cool if you didn't tell anyone what happened here. <laughs> yeah. You didn't see nothing, yeah. kid. Yeah. <laughs> Keep us between us. <laughs> Yeah. He's like one one bro to another. Let's just keep this between us. <laughs> he does like a little kind of like bro like a uh, fin shake with him like under the <laughs> under the water. Yeah, like a fist bump slash fin bump. Fin bump. Yeah. He just slips some money into Michael's hand. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's like these are sand dollars. <laughs> How can they use this in the real world? <laughs> This is shark money. It's no good here. <laughs> oh. You could say that they're now chums. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, I don't think we can beat that. So. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm going to leave that as the, the final word on, the, on this scene. Um, if you guys did have anything else, then uh, please feel free to uh, to flag me down now. But um, actually, nope, I am ha- content to leave it there on my end. Okay, <laughs> I did ha- I did have something, but I'm I'm happy to to leave it because I think it can get brought up in a in another week's episode. I I don't want to say <laughs> spoil uh, where we got to with that ex- excellent joke from from Sarah. <laughs> Man, that was so good. Well, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for for coming on. This was a blast. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's very good. Yeah. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Any social medias? Any projects? Any place people can find your writing or podcasting or anything like that? Oh yeah. So um, I you can find me talking about all sorts um, on Movies at Weekends, which is the website I run. 
Um, but I really, really love pre-code movies. So you can find me talking okay. about that at Film Stories. Um, and I am setting up a new podcast talking about fantasy films. So hopefully that will be um, available soon. Um, and you can find me and talk to me about movies at Cookie and Screen because it's something I love to do more than talk about movies. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Um, Sarah, do you have anything, or Sarah B, I guess, do you have anything <laughs> uh, you wanted to plug? Um, yeah, so in addition to talking uh, about Jaws minute by minute, I am also going through all of the Walt Disney animated classics, uh, the 59 Walt, Dis- Walt Disney animated classics for Jumpcast in a little podcast series that I do with my co-host Barry Levitt. Um, and we are very, very near to the end now. Uh, at time of recording, the most recent episode that has gone up is for Big Hero 6. So we have, I think, four or five episodes left to record, plus our sort of wrap-up one. Um, But if you've not listened to any, then all the episodes still exist. Please excuse my terrible audio quality in the first couple of episodes. That was before I was the uh, professional uh, podcast host that you have before you now. Um, I listened back to some of the old ones and I was like, this is bad. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) persevere through those because the the content is very good, even if my audio quality wasn't so good on the first couple. Um, But yeah, a lot of episodes to catch up on. Uh, Pick your favourite Disney film and then go and find that episode or you can listen to us absolutely trash home on the range or chicken little if that's your kind of thing as well um that was a good time uh, so yeah search for Jumpcast wherever you find your podcasts um and give those a listen that would be great i think there's definitely a podcast that you've done that you like if you don't like a film that i do very much love and i cannot remember what that is oh, but um was it was it no i don't like robin i'm not a big yeah. fan of disney some of the disney classics was it hunchback i think we maybe we loved hunchback but we um we did say that some of the crowd shots in that are the stuff of nightmares and the gargoyles are an abomination but we liked the rest of it <laughs> it was something around the renaissance era or like between the 80s and 90s and you said something and i was like this is outrageous oh. <laughs> well i'm sorry um i didn't like I'm trying to think what ones I didn't like. I didn't think much of Oliver and Company. Could that have been it? Might have been it. Um, oh, day. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that little cat just didn't do it. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you like Hunchback, and that's all that matters to me in yes. my heart of hearts because Hunchback is amazing. So. Yeah. <laughs> no. Not a fan of the Billy Joel dog. Not so much. No. <laughs> I never okay. saw not, not a fan of New York. Yeah. Not New York's of version of um, mm. Oliver. Not so much. <laughs> so <Yeah>. sorry, guys. <laughs> Is it Bette Midler that plays the poodle as well? Come on, man. Oh, so I do much lo- love. I do, I do love her in it. She was the shining light of that film for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Well, I am uh, the co host of another podcast myself called uh, Real Perspective. That's R-E-E-L Perspective. And uh, we just released our episode on In the Heights. It was our first podcast in person um, since all this started. So it was very exciting to uh, be able to do that. And we had a guest who was our original co-host for the show who had moved away, who was also able to be there in person. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a joyous return to form right before I leave and all our episodes go remote forever. <laughs> um, 
which isn't great. But I think, actually, by the time this episode is out, we are either getting ready to release or just released our episode also on um, F9 colon The Fast Saga, as it is titled uh, (laughs) for some reason. And that episode is going to be great because our co-host Missy, we found out, has never seen a Fast and Furious movie. So what we're going to do is we're going to make her watch the first Fast and Furious movie and then just the ninth one. And we're going to ask her to fill in the blanks as best she can, Um, which is one of the most exciting things I've ever done in a podcast. I think I cannot wait to hear what she has to say between we're stealing VCRs and floppy drives to we're fuck it literally in space. Um, That's that's fucking incredible. (laughs) Yeah. I, we were, cause we've done every, we've done every Fast and Furious movie since six or seven on the show. So it kind of feels like we've, uh, pun intended, we're spinning our wheels talking about that franchise now. But Missy recently joined the show as a co-host. So um, she hasn't been on for any of them. And uh, so now we were like, time to do a science experiment. (laughs) I can't wait to see how that turns out. (laughs) Yeah. Like she's going to be like, I got, you tell me, guys. (laughs) um so yeah that's that's an exciting event and that i think that will be the the last in-person uh podcast i want to get that done before we leave um and we do not have a big window of time to do that but uh i will make that sacrifice (laughs) um to to make it happen so real perspective r-e-e-l perspective it should be on every uh podcatcher that this show is on um, and speaking of the podcatchers that this show is on, if you could uh, leave us a rating and a review um, on your podcatcher of choice on Spotify, I think you have to do it through the desk- desktop, uh, either the in-browser version or the, um, the desktop app. Mm-hmm. So if you're having a problem with finding that section on your mobile device, that's why it has to be done through the desktop version. Um, and then just share the, the show with your friends. Um, we would appreciate it if you did that to just get more uh, more ears listening um, because we like doing this for you guys. And if you guys like uh, listening to it, share it with um, someone. And if you guys would like to support the show in a monetary way, um, you can buy merch at Redbubble and Public, which ha- we have a, uh, a link in our Twitter bio. Um, and you can find it there. You can find a link to our coffee page if you want to just support the show by donating a couple bucks to uh, to buy us some coffee because we will need uh, the caffeine or, in my case, uh, sugar-free Powerade <laughs> um, to uh, to get through our our upcoming moves. And uh, yeah, um, if you donate, you will be entered into a drawing to win a piece of merchandise so uh that's that's a little more incentive for you to 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 go and uh and donate um because it's only i think it's a three dollar minimum donation um and uh you could you could win yourself a a t-shirt or something uh which is worth you know uh 20 bucks so um we're pretty close to our goal on that so keep uh just keep an eye out and if you if you donate we'll shout you out on the show absolutely um and uh yeah 
And you can find me on Twitter at uh, MJSmith891. You can find Sarah at Sarah Buttery, S-A-R-A-H-B-U-D-D-E-R-Y. You can find the show at Jaws for a Minute on Twitter. And if you have any other feedback, you can email us at JawsForAMinute at gmail.com. And uh, if you if you want to become a, uh, a, a guest, if you want to... Um, share fun interesting jaws or shark facts with us um <laughs> by all means reach out to us the dms are open on twitter or you can use the uh email but until next time it's jaws o'clock somewhere